Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, we are starting a new series titled Silent Sermons. Everybody say Silent Sermons. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. So Psalm 19 is this amazing uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, scholars, a lot of scholars say that this is David's greatest hit. Now, who's David? I never want to assume that people come to church know who David is. David was the greatest king Israel had ever seen. He, um, he's the most covered person in the Bible outside of Jesus. Jesus is the most covered person in the Bible. And then David, David uh, was king for about 40 years. It was the most fruitful time in the history. David was a warrior. He could fight giants. He fought battles. But then also David liked to play the harp and sing songs. So he's kind of like a The Rock, kind of Brad Pitt, Chris Hemsworth. But then also he's a little JT, Ed Shireen kind of type. Okay. Um, this is David. And so uh, it's what they call his greatest hit, this psalm. C.S. Lewis says one of the greatest lyrics of all time. So let's just look at it real quick. Psalm 19, what is, what is God telling us in his word in Psalm 19, one of the greatest hits? Here's what it says. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. That doesn't even make sense. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the whole earth and their words to the whole world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Stop. This is the first part of it. There's three parts of, of Psalm 19. The first part is God uses creation. God uses what he created us in a silent sermon way to proclaim his glory. Some of the greatest sermons in all of the Bible are not words, but they're actions. The woman who pours out perfume on Jesus' feet. It's, uh, he even says, this story will be told forever. It's, she, she didn't say anything, but it's this sermon of generous, uh, generosity given to the Lord, giving honor to the Lord, understanding really what she was saved. She understood that, that the perfume that was a year's wage meant nothing compared to her salvation. Lazarus. We don't know Lazarus for anything he said. We just know Lazarus died. And God goes, you know, I said I'm the resurrection, but I need to show people I'm the resurrection. Lazarus, you're nominated. Can I use you? Oh, uh, what's that mean? You're going to die, and then I'm going to raise you to life. Oh, okay. Basically, this is what happens. So Lazarus dies. Jesus calls Lazarus uh, uh, back to life. And it's this amazing uh, story that we always talk about, that things that are dead in our life, that we think are done, only Jesus can bring them back to life. How about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm going to talk about Daniel today. A lot of Daniel. I'm going to cover a lot of Daniel. They go into the furnace. Bible says they come out, they don't even smell like smoke. A lot of you have been through some kind of furnace. And if people knew your story, they'd realize, they'd even ask this question, how are you so loving when you've been through so much abuse? How are you still so hopeful when you've been through so much destruction? Because you've been in the furnace, but the Bible shows that Jesus was in the furnace. And when Jesus is with you, you don't smell like the sin and the destruction. You smell like hope and peace. This is silent sermons. So Psalm 19 shows us that we're called to be silent sermons. I think in our culture too, if I could just be honest, uh, opinions are being shared everywhere, everywhere. Instagram, what is TikTok by the way? <laughs> Rachel and I still don't know what TikTok is. I need to find out. If you know what TikTok is, please teach me. I guess it's the new thing. Like I'm basically, Instagram is now the new Facebook and MySpace and TikTok's the new Instagram. I don't know what TikTok is. I just know it's, I don't have it. I don't even know how to sign up for it. Um, Let's keep going. Uh, let's go to verse seven in Psalm 19. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. I don't know about you, but so many people's souls are tired, anguished, and just worn out. And it says the instructions of the Lord will revive the soul. 
So you want your soul revived, you better fall in love with the word of God. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. If you're not the smartest person, is what it's saying, this could actually make you somewhat wise. This could have you live a wise life. You may react in a simple way to things, in a foolish way in things, and the Bible shows that it could actually make you wise and respond in the right ways. That gives me hope because I'm a simple man and I need some wisdom. It goes on to say that the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. I don't know about you, but we're looking for joy everywhere. It says that the commands of the Lord bring joy to the heart. It goes on to say in this great hip, the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. I don't mean about always saying like, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to navigate here? What, what do you want from me? The word of the Lord gives us insight on how to live. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. What an amazing statement David is saying. David is saying, hey, I'm the most successful king ever. The most prosperous king ever. I've had the most victories ever. I, I am the greatest king Israel has ever seen. And here's what I found out. That right here, the word of God is more precious than all the gold in the world because this is what set me up to win. I don't believe, but if you're trying to find victory anywhere else without actually consulting this thing, you're going to miss it. David is saying over and over again how valuable the word of God is. He goes on to say, they are sweeter than honey. He goes, if you don't like gold and you, like, you have a sweet tooth, well, the word of God is like sweeter than honey. Even honey dripping from the comb. Who's got the sweet tooth raising your Who loves the candy? See, I'm a salt tooth my, uh, myself. Good conversation. Okay. Um, that's it. Yep, that was it. Uh, they are warning. They are a warning to your servant. A great reward for those who obey them. Stop. They are a warning to your servant. I don't know about you, but have you ever been ripped off before? Have you ever just had somebody just rip you off? Somebody who uh, told you one thing and it was the opposite. I'll never forget. I mean, even just going to a car lot. Uh, one of the things that I, I feel like it happens a lot at a car lot. Rachel and I uh, bought a Jeep Liberty when we first got married. It was a big purchase. It was like a two-year-old uh, used Jeep Liberty from CarMax. And um, this is what they train uh, car salesmen. And I got friends who are car salesmen. Totally fine to sell a car. But car salesmen are never trained to tell you what's wrong with the car. Hey, you want to buy this for 20 grand? Just give you a heads up. It's uh, lowest rated on the car list. Uh, the clutch is about to go out for maybe about 2,000 miles. Would you like to buy it? No. That never happens. We're like, oh, this is one of the best right here. It's fantastic. And then you buy it, you find out how bad it is. The Jeep Liberty for us was one of the biggest ripoffs we ever bought. It was, uh, I'd say, six months in. We bought it for like 19 grand, which back in the day for us, that was like a billion dollars. And um, I remember like the, 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 the ignition, was, uh, what's it called? The transmission um, started catching like at 22,000 miles of the car. I was like, oh, I, I couldn't believe it. I got, I got ripped off. I should have done, I done more, uh, more investigation. Another story real quick about being ripped off. I, I'll never forget uh, being, I think, seven years old, seven, eight years old. I, uh, I got the rookie card of King Griffey Jr. out of a Pietro's Pizza little quarter machine. Do you guys remember when you could like put a quarter in and get a baseball card out? Well, this King Griffey Jr. rookie card was worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It was the most coveted rookie card of Upper Deck at that time. And even today, they're, 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 there's, they're out there and they're worth thousands. I'll never forget, I got it, and I was so proud of myself. I was like, oh my gosh, the greatest thing ever out of a quarter machine at Pietro's. And then I had a neighbor. His name was Corey Fail. If you ever find him, send him my way, okay? Um, yeah, I used his full name, Corey Fail, Puyallup, Washington. Um, he still has it. He, I went over to his house, shown him my cards, and I had my Kangaroo Junior card, upper deck, and he knew way more than I did about cards. And so he goes, hey, I get that you got the Kangaroo Junior card, but I'll give you these seven cards for that one Kangaroo Junior card. And being seven years old, you're like, well, seven cards and one card sounds like a good deal. <laughs> Oh, okay. 
And so I give my Kennedy Junior card. He gives me the seven cards. And I remember like walking away like, hey, I just got seven more cards. Da, da, da. And my dad, you know, he sees my little um, uh, baseball card booklet. And he's like, what happened to your Kennedy Junior card? Oh, I traded it, Dad. I got, I got a, uh, a Jose Canseco card. Three, three not even a rookie card. Um, I don't even know if that's worth money now. Uh, love you, Jose. Uh, Jose Canseco card. I got, um, and then I just started listening to like, all these Randall guys I'd never heard of, but the card kind of had like cool little looks on it. And my dad was like, Tyler, no, this is not okay. And I, I go, what? I was like, I got seven for one. He goes, you just traded away a card that's going to be worth thousands one day for cards that are worth nothing. I was seven. So we went and knocked on Corey's door. Knock, 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 knock. I'm there. My dad's there. They're, they get arguing that parents, everything. The dad's like, a trade is a trade. Your son needs to learn from this. I never got the card back. Again, Corey Fail, Piala Washington. Okay? <laughs> he still has it. Find him for me, all right? I'm a, I'm a, I was seven. I would handle it different now. Tell him about the Lord. I'd forgive him, and then I would take my card back. Um, I want you to catch this real quick. The Bible says that it is a warning it, is, it will warn you about things that will rip you off. It's amazing. The Israelites, it's the theocracy of the time. If I could just start preaching a little bit, preach the way I want to feel it, um, is the, the Israelites, they're, they're literally um, this nation called to be separate, and, and God is their uh, king at this time. It's, it, the, the term would be theocracy. But the culture around them had kings. And so the people of Israel like, we want to be like everybody else, uh, having you as our God. We kind of get stressed out every time we win, but, but you, may, you stretch our faith because, if I'm being honest, the blessing's in the stretch. And so they're always being stretched to trust God, but they're always finding victory. But they just don't like having to uh, operate in a lifestyle of faith. They'd ra- ra- rather operate in a lifestyle of the culture. So they decide to trade God for a king that is a man. His name is Saul. He's the uh, strongest, best looking, most powerful man. And he falls drastically short. And Israel starts to actually just have a terrible run until David comes around. And then after David has a terrible run again. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of bad trades I had in my life. But the word of God protects me from bad trades. The word of God protects me and says, do not go there. That is a pitfall. That is a lie from the enemy. The enemy's trying to rip you off. I've had one illustration in my back pocket for over a year. It's one of my favorite illustrations I've ever heard. It's a true story uh, about the Acres of Diamonds, uh, a book that sold over 7 million copies in the 1800s. It's a true story about the diamond fields that were discovered. There were a ton of diamond fields. And the, uh, the gentleman's name that wrote the book, his name is R- Russell Conwell. <sighs> I hope this story uh, speaks to you this morning. Russell Conwell uh, in the 1800s was in the Middle East and found out about really just how the diamond uh, business exploded uh, over there in, 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 in India. And there was a gentleman, uh, he found out named Al-Hafid. And Al-Hafid uh, uh, was a man who was a farmer and was making it basically month to month. And he gets some bad information that if he goes to India looking for diamonds, he'll find wealth and prosperity in India. And now you got to understand something. Russell Conwell writes a book, a book about this true story, uh, preaches it for 6, 000, over 6,000 times uh, all over uh, the world, takes all those prophets. It's an amazing story, actually, of, of Conwell also. He takes the prophets and starts a university called Temple University, which is still around today. This is actually how that was birthed. Um, but he finds out about this guy, and this guy basically goes, man, I want prosperity. I want wealth. I want all those things. And if I could be honest, all of us do. We're called to actually be rich Christians. I believe we're supposed to be rich in peace, rich in love. Money does not actually make us rich in peace and love. The world tells you it will, but it does not. So this man, Al-Hafid, leaves the farm, sells it, and goes off looking for wealth and prosperity. 
letter comes back to his family months later, and he's looked, and he's looked, and he's looked, and in the letter it says, there are no diamonds here. I've wasted my life. And again, this is months, like, just come back. But history tells us that Al-Hafid actually jumped off a waterfall and took his life because he felt so duped and so ripped off. Now, the same farm, the same plow, a gentleman bought that field and started plowing that same field. And while he would plow that field, he would hit these big old black rocks, and the way the sun would hit those black rocks is that a rainbow kind of color would come through those rocks, and he thought they were kind of interesting, but he would just kick them aside because they're getting in the way of uh, plowing the field. And one day he found one that looked kind of interesting, and he said, you know what, this would look great in my house. I'm gonna put this in my fire, uh, right above my fireplace, right on top of the mantle. And so he puts it on top of the mantle, and about six months later, uh, a priest comes by to welcome him to the, the, uh, the neighborhood, to, the, uh, to his region. And while they're sitting inside, the priest looks up and it catches his eye. And he says, is that, is that yours? He goes, yeah, it, just, it was outside. I thought it looked kind of peculiar. I thought it looked kind of good in the house, maybe bring a little bit of warmth. And he looks at him and he goes, do you know what that is? That was black rock that looks kind of cool. And the priest goes, that is a diamond in the rough. That's a rough diamond. And what the farmer didn't realize is that he was sitting on what we know now today as the Rotunda Diamond Field, the largest diamond field in all the world, had no idea. Took that diamond in, it was $25,000 in the 1800s, you can imagine how much that would be worth today, and starts again becoming rich off the same land the man Al-Hafid left to look for diamonds. Can you imagine living on acres of diamonds and getting some bad information and leaving acres of diamonds to go find it somewhere else when you were, it was right where you were. I, all the greatest stories come from the greatest story. Luke 15, there's a story about the prodigal son who's in the house and has everything, but feels like the world has everything. And so he tells his father, give me my inheritance, I wanna leave. This story ends better because it says in Luke 15 that the prodigal comes to his senses. But the reason why he comes to his senses, I wanna hear this real quick. He comes to his senses because he remembers that his father's house has more than enough. More than enough, has extra. And I'll bet you, but prodigals today are looking for acres of diamonds everywhere. But I believe the church, if it operates the way the word of God taught us, that people would say, I know exactly where I'm supposed to go. There's more than enough love, more than enough grace, more than enough peace. There's more than enough. There's more than enough room for a relationship. There's always room for me in that place. I'll share my little acres of diamonds story just so you understand even how I feel like the word of God translates to us. I, uh, I'll never forget, I heard that acres of diamonds story and our church, we were just birthing it. And you know, you have like 12 people on your launch team. I think it's around that time or a little bit later, but our church is just you know, getting birthed and uh, we're uh, gonna rent Heather Farm Community. Who was at the Heather Farm Community days? Raise your hand. My people, Thug Life. Man, that was a, that was a ghetto room, but we made it work. Kind of similar to today, actually. Um, but that's okay. Um, we've came a long way since the Heather Farm days. And uh, I remember I got a call for a church uh, in Seattle, uh, brand new building, uh, about 800 people at the church. Uh, it's about a $10 million facility, and they want me to be the pastor. And I remember Rachel and I even processing going to Texas to plant a church, not the Bay Area. We thought, we should just go to Texas. Man, you just like, you know, start a church and say, Jesus! Like thousands of people are like, we're in. Like this is like, Texas has Costco churches. Like 20,000 over here, 20,000 over here, 30,000 over here, you know? You're like, we're gonna worship. They're like, okay, you know? And then you go to the Bay Area, like, hey, you wanna come to church? And people are like, what's church? You wanna worship? What? Did you just, is that a word, what? And so 
For me, I remember Rachel and I praying, and I, I remember coming across 2 Chronicles uh, 36. It, out of all the places, but the word of God, it will make the simple wise. Because this simple man wanted to go to Texas. He wanted to leave the Bay Area. So man said, well, it would be easier just to go up. This is, this is my process, my simple processing. I start reading the word of God that will warn me, that will show me the gold that I can't see. It will show me acres of diamonds that I can't see. And it talks about Hezekiah. And if I'm being honest, the acres of diamonds that I want you to hear is, it's not your life, it's actually right here. This is acres of diamonds. This is full of pearls and gems and gold that could lead your life in a way they never could lead your life. Culture changes all the time. Stop giving culture so much credit. Culture's always changing, but God never changes. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And so... I remember reading 2 Chronicles and Hezekiah, uh, the word had been lost. Uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books uh, uh, the law, and uh, finds out that the Passover had been forgotten. Passover is basically worship, remembering what God did for uh, their people. It's, now our Passover is Jesus, of course, salvation, uh, him saving us, the ultimate Passover. Um, but anyways, uh, I start reading it, and Hezekiah uh, starts sending out runners to cities. And the, if I could just be honest, the biggest reason why I didn't want to plant a church in the Bay Area is I pictured planting a church. And I remember I had a, um, a facility that we didn't end up being in, but I remember picturing myself in that facility in the Bay Area and starting church and worshiping and then looking behind me and seeing 17 people in the room. And just, I'd go to movies and I couldn't even watch the movie. I'd just be so afraid. Like, nobody's gonna wanna come to church. I don't even know anybody really like in Walnut Creek that wants to go to church. A handful, but I don't, I don't know, Lord. And then 2 Chronicles, stumbled upon it, and of all the books, runners were going from city to city. And one of the runners go to, goes to one city, and the city laughs at the runners. They're like, we're not going to do the Passover. We're not going to work. Get out of here. Not very encouraging at first. Then they, they go to another city. They laugh at the runners again, drive them out of town. Get out of here. We're not going to worship God. We're not going to do that. Get out of here. And then eventually it says that God's hand was on Judah, and they were ready to receive the runners that wanted to worship God, and they all worshiped in one accord. I remember reading that verse and God speaking to me and saying, you're on acres of diamonds. This Bay Area is acres of diamonds. There are people ready. I started getting texts from people, Acts 18, 6, that said that, do not be afraid, for there are people in this city that I have ready for you. And then I get a call from somebody, I just started reading the Bible and I wanted to share this verse. It was in Acts 18. I was like, Acts 18, 6. They're like, how did you know? I was like, I keep on, it's one of the verses they keep on sharing with me. And what God was telling me goes, you can go to Texas, but you'll be leaving acres of diamonds. 96% of the people don't go to church in the Bay Area. That's not, a, uh, that's not something to be fearful of. That is a setup for revival. You're on acres of diamonds. Come on, this, this, this is, it's, it's, it's easier for me to say it now, a year and a half in, having 600 plus people coming to church instead of 17. But I want to hear this real quick. We're on acres of diamonds. You're on acres of diamonds. The, the, the life that you are living, where you are located, who you are next to, God says, I'm going to use you to, to do something that you never could do before. I don't know about you, but that excites me. And so if we could look at the golden scripture today, and today's kind of an intro and then a small little message about Daniel is I want to go in the next just two weeks, I want us to find some gold in scripture. Just go, do you see this gold? This is more important than anything else if you could see this. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to look at Daniel 1 through 5. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it in, in sense I'm not going to be able to read all the scripture. So I'm going to share the story, the overarching story. But there are, there are things scripture wants to show you so you won't get ripped off by Corey Fail like I did. Does that sound good? Everybody heads? 
Corey Fail, remember the name, Corey Fail. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that name or something. I know, whatever. Uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. And again, God, we want, we want to be a church that lives a life that is so loud. Words are so loud today, but man, Lord, I pray that our church would not be known for their words, but known for how they love and how they respond and how they act and how they serve. And Lord, as we look at your word, Lord, may we see gold today. Oh, you say your word is more precious than the finest gold. May we believe that. May we cling to the pearls that we see today. May we look at your word and may it transform us and inform us and inspire us to live the life we're called to live. Oh, we need you, Jesus. And everybody said? All right, so uh, Daniel 1. Uh, Turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read a quick little verse. So if you don't know the whole uh, um, story of Daniel, Daniel's one of those stories that has a lot of silent sermons in it. It's one of the most famous books in the Bible. Most people who don't even go to church know about Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel goes in the lion's den. Lions don't touch him. It's an amazing story. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you know it's Shadrach, Meshach, and a bungalow. All good. I'll roll with that, okay? Um, Bungalow or Shadrach, Meshach, and Winnebago. All good, okay? You're so close. You're so close. Um, about them going in the furnace because they don't bow down. We know these stories. These are some of the most famous stories in all the Bible because these people lived a life of faith that was so not of that culture. I'll just be honest with you. Our culture is creating, I believe, this conflict with the church that we're going to have to decide if we're going to stand in faith and be different or if we're going to actually be the same as culture if we're going to love the same way culture loves, if we're going to hate the same way culture hates, if we're going to be selfish the same way selfish uh, as culture is, or we're going to love differently the way the Bible shows us, if we're going to not hate uh, people, but we're going to love them where they're at. I, mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, lo- I love where culture has us right now because you don't see a lot of fake Christians in the Bay Area. There's no benefit to be a Christian in the Bay Area. It's not, I mean, 100 years ago, Christendom, you had to list your church on where you could get a loan. You want a home loan? What church do you go to? Now, like when I meet people on the plane, they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm in sales. I, I, I literally, I have to decide. When I'm on a plane, don't judge me because you're not me, okay? Um, <laughs> but when I'm on a plane, I have to decide. When people ask me what I do, if I'm going to tell them what I do or kind of what I do. Because I want them to talk. I'm a talker. I like talking to people on the plane. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. And what happens when I tell people I'm a pastor, they literally go like this. Oh, Good talk. We should, all right. But then when I tell them, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I just, I'm in sales. Oh, that's awesome. And then they start talking, blah, blah, blah. And, and if it really goes well, you know, I'll tell them, hey, you know, at the very end, I'll share. The reason why I said sales because so many people uh, don't respond well when I tell them I'm a pastor. And some are like, oh, why wouldn't they respond well that you're a pastor? And some will respond well. Like, oh, some people don't respond well because I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, I get that totally. <laughs> Thanks. So our, our culture, our culture is drawing a line in the sand. And really, in Daniel, it's a Babylon society. It has this polytheistic society. You can worship a lot of gods, but you can't worship one god. Israel is a monotheistic society. One god. We worship Jesus. And so they're drawing a line of culture. You either assimilate or you're done. And God says, I don't want you to assimilate, and also I don't want you to separate. I don't know about you, but my least favorite type of Christian I met when I wasn't a believer was a Christian that made me feel like I was the worst person on the planet. They were the ones that only had VeggieTales uh, uh, next to their TVs. I didn't know what VeggieTales were. I thought it was a vegetable show, but it was a cartoon. VeggieTales are good. But they were, they were so opposed to everything of the world that they made me feel like I was like this terrible outcast. And I would walk away feeling terrible about myself being around those kind of type of Christians. 
And the Bible shows very clearly in Matthew 5 through 16 that we're not called to assimilate to this world and we're not called to separate from this world. We're called to be salt to this world. And it's kind of an interesting term. Out of all the things God could call us to, but in this Babylonian society, Daniel and his three friends, they decided to be a salt to this world. Why does the, world, why does the Lord use the word salt? Salt's a fascinating thing. Again, I have a salt too, so I love salt. But um, salt really is, the way you could use it is, it wasn't used for flavoring even back then a lot because it was so expensive. Now, rich people use it for flavoring, so it did make things better. But salt was used to, uh, was, was drawn to broken things. If some, some meat was gonna go bad or uh, meat was breaking down, salt would actually preserve it and not have it break down. And in Jeremiah 29, the instructions to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mishael, their, their other names, of course, it was this, 29, 4, uh, 4 through 14, it says, I want you to go to the city. I want you to love the city. I want you to serve the city. I want you to have wives and kids, and I want you to make the city better. I want you to be salt of the city. So what do we have to do? Three things. This is going to be really quick. We got five minutes, and that was a lot of an intro. But hey, hopefully you got something out of it. Have a great day, everybody. Um, <laughs> kind of being serious. Um, <laughs> Daniel 1, you've got to determine not to let culture name you. First thing the Bible shows you in Daniel 1, the enemy shows you the cards. First thing that we're going to get, the gold that we're going to get from Daniel today is culture wants to name you. It wants to give you an identity. I'll show you. It's so obvious in Daniel 1. It says this in Daniel 1. Daniel 1, uh, da, 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 da. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Now, what, what's happening here with Babylon? I gotta, um, there's so many things in the context. Babylon would not destroy nations. They would just acquire them and say, now you're just Babylon. We're not going to destroy you. We're just going to have you assimilate to our academics, to our philosophies, to our type of worship, to how we live. We want you to say yes to the Babylonian type culture. Say yes to it. And so one of the first things when you said yes to the Babylonian culture was this, is you're going to get a new name. And so it says in Daniel 1 that the chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to file himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. Stop. First thing the enemy shows, the name Daniel means God is my judge. Another one of the, you know, either Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mishael, and Azariah, it meant Jehovah, my joyous God. Another one is just, who is this God? Like, this like boasting of who God is. And all of them get names. Uh, Daniel's name is Bel is my God. Now your new God is the Babylonian God. Another one gets, I'm fearful of God, is another name they get. And basically, it's super obvious. The, the Lord wants to take your real identity. Uh, the, the world wants to take your real identity and give you a fake one. So there's three ways you can get names in this world. Let's just look at it real quick. And we, we see this throughout scripture, but it's also obvious in our culture. One is you can receive a name from culture. Culture wants to give you a name. And of course, we're not going to be as obvious as, your new name is Belteshazzar. Uh, thank you. Um, but you'll get names like this. You're the shy one. You're shy. You, you don't talk. When you walk in rooms, you be quiet. And so because you were called shy at age seven, you never actually have your voice to speak up for the oppressed. You never use your voice to speak up for actually what God's called you to speak up for. You never use your voice to actually welcome people because you've been called the shy one. You should never talk. Maybe you've been called the stupid one. And so your name is the stupid one. Well, I never would, I could never ever see myself as a world changer because I'm just not that smart. And, and people told me, never called me smart. So my new name from identity is, is the stupid one. And so culture loves to give names. Culture loves to give identities. Oh, you're, you're the outcast. 
And so you feel like the outcast, so you never actually want to be a part of culture because you never think you can be a part of, a part of community because everybody said you're the outcast of community. So one is culture wants to give you a name. Second one is we go to the city to achieve a name. Culture shows us this. It's actually where Babylon was birthed in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, where we get Babylon, uh, Bab- uh, Babylon from. It says this. So if you're not going to get a name, Babylon wants to achieve a name. And here's how we see it. It's so obvious. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for, uh, for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we make our na- Oh, golly, Tyler. Uh, who took Dayquil today? I did. Okay, I'm going to tell myself. Find a little cold, drink a little bit of Dayquil. It's hard to read. Okay, here we go. Um, let's go to verse four. This is, I want you to catch this. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? Why are, they, why are they doing all this? Why are they trying to achieve something this great? Here's what it says. So that we may make a name for ourselves. I don't know about you, but man, living in the Bay Area and even LA, man, people would come to the city. They would come to the, the big places of culture to make a name for themselves. I'm gonna make a living like no other so people uh, understand who, how successful I am. So they try to achieve a name. So culture either are given a name, you achieve a name, it shows in Daniel, here's the gold, or you can receive your name. Identity is not achieved, it's received. And throughout the Bible, the Lord has given us all these gold pearls that you are salt, that you're gonna make the world better. I don't know about you, but when I eat a steak, when there's salt on it, I don't say that's good salt, I say that's a good steak. And what it's saying about us being salt is that when we walk into a group, when we walk into a workplace, when we walk into a church, when we walk into anything, people should say, that's a great group, and they don't know why it's so great. And you know why it's so great, because the salt of the earth, Christians are in the room, and they're making it better. They're not gossiping about people. They're not speaking death about people. For some reason, when you're in the room, you're speaking life, and they wonder why it's better. It's because you're salt. Another name he gives you is your light. So we're called to make the world better and brighter. Light is the thing that turns the light on and shows actually where the acres of diamonds are. The light is where it actually shows people a different way to live a life. Rachel and I, again, I didn't grow up in church, but we both didn't think you could have a great marriage. We, we just, we didn't see great marriages. And I remember going to church and seeing great marriages for the first time. And it was like being light. And I remember going like, if you can have that great a marriage, I can have that great a marriage. I remember actually seeing one of my first senior pastors and they just, had, they just had a great life. I just liked it. I was drawn to it. You know that Daniel, when he's in the lion's den, if I could just skip to that in Daniel 6, uh, Daniel, uh, excuse me, uh, in the middle of Daniel, uh, the king, king of Persia, Cyrus, he's worried about Daniel dying in the lion's den. He's drawn to Daniel. He likes Daniel. Daniel's light. He's, he, he's impressed by Daniel. We should impress people. People should be drawn to us. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that they're, they're going to hate us too. And, you know, I, when people don't like me because I'm a Christian, I get it. The Bible shows me that. I'm not surprised by it. But it does show this thing that if nobody's mad at you, you're actually not really living a Christian life. But if nobody's drawn to you, you're not really living a Christian life. And, and that's the tension that we live in. And so I remember being in church and seeing these couples going, man, I want a life like that. And I was drawn to them. I remember asking one of them to be my mentor. And the first thing, if I could just give you the goal today, is that if you actually allow the word of God to name your marriage, if you allow the word of God to name your life, if you allow the word of God to name your future, if you allow the word of God to name your past, which is as far as east from west, it's gone. It doesn't mark your life anymore. Watch what happens to your life. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. 
Um, we're already two minutes past my, this new TV we got in the back, it's awesome, but it just tells me that I always go long. So I don't know, I, we got a bad relationship, me and this TV. Um, uh, so Daniel 1 shows us uh, that culture wants to name us, so that's the gold. And then if we go on to uh, Daniel 3, uh, and I'm gonna have to cut these two really quick, but I'll, be, I'll do my best to give you the, the gold in them. Daniel 3 shows us that we cannot bow down to culture. Bowing down to culture does not do anybody any good. Nobody, nobody benefits when we bow down to culture. So uh, if you know the story, there's this 90-foot uh, statue built. Nebuchadnezzar has it built, and he says when the horn is blown, everybody worships it. Now, why would Nebuchadnezzar build a 90-foot statue to be worshipped? Is he just crazy? No, it's actually a smart political move on his end. He at least thinks, he's going, I got a lot of different cultures. We've taken over a lot of people. Here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna have, uh, I wanna have political peace, so we need to have religious pluralism. We need to have everybody able to worship every god, but not one god. Problem is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And if I could just even address religious pluralism real quick, and this is a deeper conversation for a deeper day, but people who preach religious pluralism, aka all religions are okay, are preaching a very isolated religion themselves. Because religious pluralism says, I know the way, the truth, the life, and it's all the religions. I'm the enlightened one, and I think it's this way. And so people get mad at Christians for acting like they're the enlightened ones. I'm not an enlightened one. I just believe that Jesus came and died on a cross. I studied the word of God. I, I feel like God opened my eyes that, that I'm not just built for today, that eternity's placed in my heart. So I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And what's funny about religious pluralism, if you meet anybody who is all for all religions, they're not actually all for all religions. Because you'll say, well, you're for this one? Well, yeah. Are you for this one? Yeah. Well, what about this one? Well, that's not, that, that one's too bad. And so then they create their own religions that they're okay with. And they've just became the exclusive person on what okay religions are and what ones aren't okay. Again, this is what's happening in Babylon. So the horn blows, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, instead of being the loud Christians, they're not being loud with their voice. They're just simply saying, I'm not gonna bow down to the things that everybody else is bound down to. Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he's angry, uh, pulls him in, and he gives him a chance to bow down to all the gods. And they, again, they don't fight it with him. They don't yell at him. They respectfully say, hey, we can't. And if you throw us in that furnace, so the Bible says that they made it seven times hotter. I always just even I'm like, how does it get seven times hotter back then? I guess there's different types of trees. It's kind of fascinating. Different trees burn at different heats. And so they threw in the trees that burned at the hottest, seven times hotter, and made the furnace so hot where the people who are gonna throw them in, they even died, the scripture says. And they tell them respectfully, we, we can't. And then they tell him this thing, and I've, I've never really like understood the power of what they're saying. They're saying, we have faith that our God will save us. But then they even say the second part of it. They go, but we even have faith, even if he doesn't, we're gonna be okay. And I'll about you, but what they're showing here is one of the most powerful things and one of the biggest pearls you can have in your life is if you have faith in your agenda, you're gonna be a very disappointed Christian. But do you just have faith in your God? I have faith that when I don't bow down to this world, even when I'm going through a valley, the valley is not the ending point for me. Don't have faith in your agenda. Have faith in God. It's an amazing Pearl Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo show us. Last one, I'll maybe preach it next week. It's uh, the finger on the wall in Daniel 5. It's kind of fascinating. 11, uh, Luke eleven twenty talks about the finger of God. It's an amazing picture. And really what it's trying to say to us is simply this, is that when God came on the scene, he said that he was going to take the acres of diamonds, the word of God. This is where it gets really good. 
this thing that's the most valuable thing and he was gonna have it become flesh, but then he was gonna have it dwell in us. And people may not read the Bibles, but they're gonna read you. And so we talk about the acres of diamonds and I talk about the acres of diamonds being here, but the acres of diamonds are also here when you say yes to Jesus. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says in Soul Winner. He, he talks about uh, Michelangelo. Who's an artist? Who are, like, you love art. Like, you paint, you draw. I have so much respect for you. I think that's amazing. My wife loves art. I am so not gifted in art. Um, it's comical. Uh, I have, like, even my handwriting is terrible. Like, I'm bad at just writing letters. Um, something I found out about, like, Michelangelo is how serious he took his craft. It says that Michelangelo would not go buy just some generic paintbrushes but he would actually make his own paintbrushes. I'm like, okay, that's fascinating. Like the reason why is because he knew exactly what kind of paintbrush would paint certain ways, finer paintbrushes, thicker ones. And so he'd make certain ones for certain masterpieces. And Charles Spurgeon, just in the way that he does it so well, he unpacks that God is the greatest artist. If you've ever seen a sunset, he paints the greatest masterpieces. But he says that mankind, that every single one of us if you could see yourself like David did, that you're a paintbrush in the greatest artist's hand. And if you actually allow yourself to be in his hand, to be in his word, imagine what he could paint with your, you as a paintbrush. You are not a generic paintbrush. Your story is not generic. Your life is not generic. Your life is not just something that happened. It is not an accident. I believe there is a significant calling on your life. And amazing, it's amazing to me that we think we can paint a better masterpiece with our own life than actually giving our life to God and saying, God, paint. I, I'm only 37, but the reason why I was attracted to people's lives that had a great marriage or great joy is because God was painting their marriage. It's God was painting their life. And allow God to use your life to paint the masterpiece he's wanted to paint the whole time. Grab that goal today and go live a little different this week. Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.